Welcome to the Covert Narcissism Podcast. I'm your host, Renee Swanson. I'm Renee Swanson, your host of the Covert Narcissism Podcast, and I want to thank you so much for being here. It's been a little while, actually, since I've done a guest episode, and so I'm kind of excited to be back on that. And uh, the guest I have here today, her name is Julie, and Julie has been in some of my group sessions, and I actually got the privilege of meeting her in person at a retreat, which I'm going to say is a major, um, just a major benefit of what I do when I finally get to meet people and they get out of the car and it's their voice that I hear after Zoom and all the stuff that we do. So Julie, thank you for being here with us today. I really appreciate you having me, Renee, and I have to tell you, I'm super excited and honestly, I'm also really nervous. It's okay to be nervous. I remember the first few podcasts that I did and oh my word, yes, I was very nervous. Yeah, it feels like a really super weighty thing to not only to share the story, but like the obligation or duty to share it in such a way that makes sense to people, number one. And then my hope is that it helps people with their own story. And I really, really want to achieve that in the short time we have together today. Absolutely. And I have no doubt that you will. And and I will say that all of my time of helping other people, that is one of the greatest things that I can take away from all that I've been through. Every single person I'm able to help makes my story make a little more sense. It's, it's a wonderful thing. I can tell you, you have helped me a lot. Do you know it is going to be two years this February since we first met each other? Wow. No, and, I did not know that. Well, I uh, let me refresh your memory. It was over Zoom. I still remember. I can't remember what day of the week it was, but I do remember it was a weekday because I was getting ready to start my business day, but it was still early enough in the morning. I had just listened to your podcast. And I was so upset and I took the plunge and I sent you an email and lo and behold, you responded to that email almost instantaneously. And I asked you, I took the initiative and I said, can you zoom? And if so, what time would work for you? And you said, and I quote, how about now? <laughs> and we got on a zoom together in the early hours of the morning. Neither of us had on any makeup. I had spent half the night crying. I asked you, do you think given my situation, do you think attending one of your group sessions would be good for me? And you were very patient with me. You just said, you know, I think you could benefit. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> <laughs> and if I remember correctly, you actually did two rounds of group coaching. Oh, it was so, it was great. It was really, really wonderful. And I'm still in touch with some of those people today. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. It is the group sessions. It is my pure intent is for setting up a community where you guys have your arms around each other. I can't hug the world. I want to, but I can't. And I need that community to happen. And I love the fact that you guys are still in touch with each other. And I, and I know you are because I know some of the ones you're talking about, uh, but I love that you guys are still there supporting each other. Well, we are, and you're the linchpin. So I thank you so much for that, Renee. Awesome. Awesome. I'm so glad to hear it. So so to get us started, uh, you want to tell a little bit of your story? How do you want to get started today? I guess I'd like to start, gosh, that is such a good question. You know, thinking about this podcast and how I wanted it to unfold, I kind of wanted to start at the end, which means like where I am today. 
I I want people to know that in the end, this is a story of hope and opportunity. And I think that piece is so important because for all the listeners out there who feel the sadness, the despair, the angst, the anxiety, the anguish, there is light at the end of the tunnel. And I am in two years since you and I met when I felt really destroyed, I am now in a great place. I mean, a really great place. Just to name a couple things, my career is better than it ever has been. I'm self-employed and it has grown expansively. Another thing that's grown expansively is my friendship network. I have a rich, full life. I honestly can't wait to get up every morning and I love each day. I am just full of tremendous gratitude. So that's where I want to start to let people know that there is hope. Then the other thing that I would like to say, I felt at the beginning, there was a lot of shame and I felt really stupid. And I'd like to talk about those feelings because I know, I know I'm not a stupid person. Perhaps I should have seen things that I didn't see, but this happened to me. And I think it can happen to anybody, regardless of your background. So I'd like to share a little bit about what happened and how I got out of it. Yeah, absolutely. And and I love your point. This can happen to anybody. I have people come into individual and group sessions that are psychotherapists, psychologists. I've had doctors in. I've had people who've been practicing marriage counseling for 20 years. I've had um, you just you name it, mental health therapists that they come in and go, how did I not see this? So. Wait. It can happen to anybody. And it's two things, right? It's like, I'm not a stupid person, right? Like you're talking about people who are educated in the field and they're still falling victim to it. And then that other piece, aside from I'm not a stupid person, I'm a strong person. And how does a woman who considers herself to be capable and strong, how does she become the victim of an emotionally controlling, abusive relationship? I can't say I even understand that fully at this moment in this time, but I can say I'm surprised that it happened to me. It did happen to me. And regardless of the strength that each of your listeners individually has, it can happen to them. And they also have the strength to get out of it. Yeah. Very, very good point. And Julie, thank you so much for sharing that and bringing that up. Yeah. So in my case, gosh, I think my relationship was characterized, well, by a lot of things, the control that I mentioned first and foremost, but something that I haven't heard be the focus of one of your podcasts to date, not to say it hasn't been, just to say maybe I haven't heard that one. My relationship, the my now ex-husband, he was a pathological liar and I didn't recognize it. And it started early in our relationship at the very beginning when we were dating. And now when I look back, it should have been obvious. You know, they say hindsight is twenty twenty. Well, in my case, his stories, and he was a great storyteller, but I thought they were true stories. Every story he told of himself was designed to paint him as a strong person who was so kind and so gentle, but at the same time, really strong and could achieve against all odds. And yet he was continually victimized and beaten down by the world. And I guess 
at its core, I'm kind of a caregiver and a nurturer, maybe even a rescuer. And I just, that just appealed to me. And I fell for it hook, line and sinker. I'm like, you know what? I can pair up with this guy. I can show him a better life. He's never lived life with me. So that's how the relationship started. And as we got exclusive with each other and then eventually married each other, the control became more and more of a predominant part of the relationship. Okay. Yeah. The pathological lying, it is not something I have focused on yet in my podcast. And it is not something that personally that I dealt with. Um, There was a lot of manipulation of truth but not to the extent of kind of what you're talking about here. Can you give um, can you give us a couple of examples just for the listeners to truly understand the depth of these lies? Stuart, I'd almost like to put it back on you first, because this is interesting. You didn't deal with lying, but you dealt with a, quote, manipulation of truth. <laughs> what is manipulation of truth if it's not a lie? <laughs> if it's not a lie. It is a lie, but not to the depth of what you dealt with. And when mm-hmm. I say that, I mean, I'm talking more about the gaslighting and, well, I never said that when we're talking about a conversation that happened that morning. And so it can be played off more as a misconception of perception. As opposed to a straight out lying to your face about some very hard facts. Okay. So first of all, and that's a very good distinction. I really appreciate you stating that. Understand that distinction. And I did deal with the gaslighting too. I mean, lots of, well, I never said that. Or, and did this happen to you convincing me that I said something that I didn't say? Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean. Very much so. Oh, the whole out of your mouth and into my ears, that was his line, and said with such conviction, why would anybody make it up? And I remember once I was involved in a public speaking engagement, and it was was kind of a career highlight moment. And I was so excited when I finished, and I clearly did well because I got a standing ovation, and I walked off the stage, and Tim was there. And It was just a great evening. And at the end, he was furious. He said, you walked off that stage and you walked right past me. And you said, I don't have time for you. I was mortified. I'm like, what? I said, I don't have time for you. Oh, yeah. You were so caught up in yourself and your moment and your ego. He completely convinced me, Renee, that I had said that. So much so at the next event, I hardly ever left a side. I even have a picture of me sitting on his lap, like overcompensating, making sure that I gave him enough attention. Um, So there's two things about that story, right? One is the outright lie of it. And the second piece is how it changed my behavior. And that was part of the, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the insidiousness of his lies. A lot of them were designed to make my world smaller, right? So I'm do a good job public speaking. It's a big crowd. It would be my moment to shine or my moment to have fun with with other people in the room. And instead, it's like, no, I've got to just be with him and make him the center. And that kind of thing happened a lot. So that might fall under the more gaslighting type of lie that you're talking about. Yes. But then we're just outright lies. And I guess rather than keep it for like the granddaddy of them all, I'll just state the granddaddy of them all right at the beginning, which is when we were dating, Tim told me, 
that he was in remission from cancer. He said uh, he had had stage four cancer. Now you have to remember, this is a while ago. This is like before the days we were Googling everything, you know, and confirming things through internet research. And I had never met any a cancer survivor myself. And he said he was in remission from stage four cancer. Things were going very well. He told me it was throat cancer that had spread at one point to his lymph nodes and even the base of his brain. And after we had been dating for less than a year, he told me he went out of remission from said cancer. So now mind you how that makes you feel. You're falling in love with someone and now they're out of remission from cancer. And oh my God. And he didn't want to see me during that time. He said, you know, I really think you should leave. Actually, I think you should leave. You shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't stay with me. I don't deserve someone like you, all of that. Well, he underwent a period of weeks. It was probably over a month that we didn't see each other. And then the next time I saw him, he said, everything tasted like metal. But other than that, he was doing really well. Now, keep in mind, old man. So I couldn't, you know, like the fact that there was, there was already total hair loss. So I couldn't confirm anything that way. Anyway, I totally believe the story, even celebrated years later when he was deemed apparently cancer free. And I found out when I told him things were over, right around the time that you and I first met, I found he never had cancer at all. Not at all. So this whole huge lie that really informed a great deal of our marriage, including a decision not to have children, turned out to be a total lie. Wow. And that takes, I mean, that takes such a toll on you with the manipulation of your sympathy, one thing, and that's one direction, but the other is you made a massive life decision to never have children based on this lie. Yeah. I mean, that is something that I still struggle with, obviously, to this day. I mean, you can't change the past. I've come to terms with that decision. I And that was, that truly, in my opinion, that's the granddaddy of them all that that's the one that just like wow i am dealing with someone that really is a pathological liar but by the time i had my face-to-face appointment with my attorney i had amassed typed out mind you 19 pages of lies i was positive about and others that i highly highly suspected were lies and i will never forget being in her office and i told her that i didn't want a divorce i told her that i wanted an annulment and when i say i wanted an annulment for those listeners out there who maybe have only heard of the word annulment as it relates to the catholic church I wasn't talking about an annulment as it relates to the Catholic Church. Although I was raised Catholic, I'm not Catholic today. I was talking about a legal annulment. In my mind, the lies were so egregious, this marriage never, it was not a marriage. I don't even know the person who I married. So I told her that's what I wanted. She looked at me like I had three heads, honestly. Then I gave her my document and she's halfway through reading the document She puts her pen down and she uses her finger to point at me. And she says, you know, I've seen stuff kind of like this on Dateline, 
but I've never had anyone come into my office. So in any event, she, she bought into my line of thinking. And although it was considered a long-term marriage, because we had been together over 10 years, she helped me pursue that annulment. And it was a long process because there's not a lot of case studies for annulments and long-term marriages. The most common are in cases of bigamy or like if someone marries someone for a green card, but it's not really out of love, people are granted annulments for things like this. But this was something that was very, very different. Ultimately, after a year and a half legal battle, the judge did side with us and he granted an annulment due to fraud as it relates to the marital vow. Wow. Wow. And I, I understand there's a big difference between that being an annulment or if it were to be a divorce in regards to how that played out for you. Yeah. And I guess I should speak to that too. Uh, for me, I was the primary wage earner. My my now ex-husband hadn't worked for like six since about six months after we were married. So I would have been on the hook for a great amount of spousal support because the law is very differently, drastically from state to state. So we still had to divide our community property. Had I lived in a state like New York where there is no community property because he was convicted of fraud chances are he would have walked away with nothing. We still had to divide assets, but I was not liable for spousal support, which could have amounted to thousands of dollars a month for the rest of his life. So that, that was a really big deal. But the thing that I'd like to stress is when I first decided I wanted an annulment, I didn't know that piece. I just wanted the annulment because frankly, I thought it was the right thing to do. How can you call it a marriage when you really don't even know the person who you've been married to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's fair. And, and speak to that for a minute, because so you didn't know the financial benefit at the time. This was more for your uh, your healing, part of your own healing journey. It was absolutely part of my own healing. It was early on that I decided on the annulment. And this sounds like such a crazy story, but it's absolutely true. I um I woke up one morning and that word annulment was just ringing through my head. And I had an appointment with the attorney I eventually contracted with. I forget it was the next day, I guess. And, and I woke up with this word ringing through my head. I'm like, annulment. Wow. And that led me to think back to being a part of the Catholic church as a child. And I had heard about annulments then. I didn't even know what a legal annulment was, but you know, who knows, maybe it was my subconscious working because of my Catholic upbringing. Maybe it was my spirit council guiding me. I don't know why, but that word was ringing through my head. So I, I went online and I did some research on annulments. And I'm like, wow, this, this applies in this case. Now, in my case, it had to be if you're going to get an annulment based on fraud, it has to be directly related to the marital vow. And they're very specific about that. So it's not enough, unfortunately, to say, well, you know, my husband told me he would be faithful and he cheated on me. You can't be granted an annulment for that. But society still considers the, the procreation piece of marriage to be 
instrumental to the marital vow. So the fact that there was this decision to have or not have children that was based on the lie, I think ultimately was what was the catalyst for the judge granting the annulment. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. I did not know that piece. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay. okay. So where are you? Um, so you, the marriage is, how long have you been out of the, how long since the annulment was granted? So the annulment was granted just what? Four months ago, mm-hmm. four months ago. And I feel like I'm, I'm, almost positive. I've heard you use this analogy on episodes, you know, the frog that's put in the room temperature water, and then the heat is slowly turned up. I think that that is what happens to people that are in relationships like the one I was in and probably like the one you were in. Like you don't even realize how bad it is while you're in it because you become so desensitized because that heat is turned up slowly and slowly. And then when you finally realize that it's bad, you try to explain it to somebody, but everything by itself sounds so insignificant that it doesn't seem like enough of a reason. So we were having this, you know, that classic cycle of abuse where things would be really good and then they'd be really bad, but then they'd get really good again. And then they'd be bad. And I remember calling a girlfriend of mine at one of the low points. And I was just, I probably was crying. And I remember her saying to me, Julie, you're miserable. I've been listening to you off and on for months. And I'm like, yeah, but listen to this latest example. Like you don't, you don't decide to end your marriage because of whatever that particular thing was. And she's like, Julie, you're miserable. You don't need a smoking gun to leave. In my case, it took the smoking gun. It took me discovering a major lie in order to make that decision to leave. And you can save yourself years if you choose to leave just by valuing and validating your own feelings. No, a hundred percent. And I tell my listeners often that, you know, you don't have to have that that one massive explosion as the final reason why you walk out the door or that, you know, I don't even have to be angry the day that I signed divorce papers. It is reaching that point, like what you're saying, where you truly realize how miserable you are, how, you know, unsafe, unhealthy, um, how small you've become in this relationship. And it's the realization. It's like, once your eyes are open, once you see it, you, you see it like, and you can't unsee it. And then the level of miserableness that happens once you know what you're dealing with and you're still in that environment is absolutely unbearable. And that to me is, look, that's a choice that I had to walk away. I wasn't, I wasn't explosively angry at him at the time. We didn't have some massive fight that caused me to go sign papers. It was a process. It was a journey. And it was me getting to that point where I realized I can't live like this anymore. So here's where your situation is actually different from mine, because I I did wait until I had the smoking gun. And in my case, it wasn't the discovery of the cancer lie. That actually came much, much later. I had to subpoena medical records in order to discover that. So that was like, there was two private investigators, subpoena of medical records. 
Um, all of that came out. But the smoking gun that I learned about was a conversation I had with his sister. And we were just talking about, well, I was listening to them. I was listening to Tim and his mom, and I think his aunt was over, and they were yelling at the television downstairs. That I think the football game was on and touchdown was scored or something like that. And I made a comment about a story that I had heard that, t- that Tim had told me, how his family never supported him in sports. And his sister just looked at me quizzically and said, what, what do you mean? We were always such a sports family. And I tried to be really patient. And I'm like, well, you know, he never went to his games. And, and then even when even when he got into the University of Washington and the family didn't want him to go to college, that's another story. But he got in and he made it onto the sports team, he never came to watch a game. And then even when he went to the Rose Bowl, you guys didn't show up. <laughs> I will never forget. We're in my kitchen and she whips around and she's staring at me. She's like, what? University of Washington, Rose Bowl, what are you talking about? So the whole college story was a lie. It turns out he never went to college, much less played football in college, much less went to a Rose Bowl. And that was like the beginning of the Jenga tower collapsing, so to speak. But I'm not proud that fact, Renee, that I didn't get out sooner because it really was very bad much, much sooner. But that's that whole cycle of abuse, right? Because it's bad, it's bad, and then it gets good. And then you don't want to rock the boat because when it's good, it can be really good. In fact, it can be almost perfect. And that can last for an incredible length of time before it gets bad again. And then when it's bad, Tim was always a master at making me feel the bad moments were my fault. And here's here's something else that you said. You said how small I've become in the relationship. And I say this primarily for the benefit of the listeners now, because I remember that feeling too, that feeling of being so, so small. And it makes that decision so much harder, right? Because you do feel so small and you feel like you're not worth very much. But I I guess like one message that I would like everyone to take from this is you're not small. You are much, much bigger than you think you are. And it's only when you leave and you regain your identity and your sense of self that you're going to begin to realize just how wonderful and large and of life and spirit you really are. That is a perfect message to end this podcast on, and and we are at that point. So, Julie, thank you so much for sharing that. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the listeners before we sign off today? I guess I'd like to end the way I began, which is there is hope, there is opportunity. Take a step at a time and recognize your own strength, and there are better days ahead. I promise you. And I can agree with that. I can vouch for every word you are saying. So listeners out there, thank you so much for joining us today. And, uh, you know, reach out at any point. Julie reached out to me by email. And yes, I do answer my emails. I do answer my Facebook messages. If it takes me a couple of days to get there, be patient with me because I, I do get a lot of them. 
but please feel free. Do not hesitate to reach out to me and, uh, and let's get on this path of, of healing together. So everybody out there, I wish you so much peace on your journey of healing. You have been listening to the Covert Narcissism Podcast with your host, Renee Swanson. Be sure to check out our website at www.covertnarcissism.com. There you will find many resources just for you to help you on this journey. You can also reach out to me by email at Renee, R-E-N-E-E, at cnglifecoaching.com. Those letters are C-N-G as in Covert Narcissism Group. I do look forward to hearing from you. I wish you so much peace on your journey of healing. The information provided by Renee Swanson and the Covert Narcissism Podcast is for educational purposes only and is not to be used for diagnosis purposes and not intended to be a substitute for clinical care. Please consult a healthcare provider for guidance specific to your case. This material discusses narcissism in general. It does not claim that any specific person has narcissism and should not be used to refer to any specific person as having narcissism. Permission is not granted to link to or repost this material to support an allegation or a claim that any specific person is a narcissist. That would be an unauthorized misuse of the material and information provided.